Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange. Here's Hugh Ballou, the founder and president of Cinevision Leadership Foundation, where we help leaders define their vision in ways that create synergies with their teams. Our motto is transforming leaders, transforming organizations, transforming lives. And my guest today has done this. I mean, he's in the trenches and he's going to tell you his story about why he started this. But John Renard, welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange today. Tell people a little bit about who you are and your calling to this, this, this work you're doing. You bet, Hugh. And again, I appreciate the invite. This will be great. So, you know, my my journey started about 13 years ago, and when we took a family uh, trip to uh, to Africa, my son was doing some humanitarian missionary work over there, and he came home. And about six months later, we brought my family over there, and the one thing that just caught my attention was the fact that the lives of almost all the women and girls that we saw were, um, you know, basically their lives were surrounded around the, the, the fact that they had to get water to their families every day. And so it was just everywhere you look, these girls were, were carrying these buckets of water on their head um, to the point where I thought that, that it can't all be water. And, uh, um, you know, but I found out that it, you know, that it was. And we just said, and again, I couldn't believe it. Here we are in 2010. We're still, you know, we're still battling this. We're still battling. And it'd be one thing if they're collecting clean water, Hugh, but they're collecting this dirty, nasty water that, quite honestly, we would not let our pets uh, drink, let alone uh, our, our family, our kids. And so that ignited a fire to, uh, and, and reality was on my plane trip home, when I was thinking about this, I just became angry. <laughs> I remember the speech that President Johnson um, Kennedy gave uh, back in the early 60s saying, you know, by the end of this decade, we want to put a man on the moon. Well, part of that speech was also he talked about the fact that we also need to address clean water issues around the world. And here we are, you know, 50, you know, nearly 50 years or 40 years later. And, and we've put multiple people on the moon. The, you know, the, uh, the Indian um, continent just put a, 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 another aircraft on the, uh, on the moon. And yet a third of our population is still struggling to get clean water every day. So that was the impetus. That was, you know, the, the moment where I said, hey, I'm going to get involved. I can feel your passion. Yeah. That's, that's, that's quite a remarkable journey. And so um, we're going to talk about your website in a minute, but it's called whoLives.org. Yeah. What's the origin origin of WHO? So it's actually an acronym. It's an acronym for water, health, and opportunity. And and on this plane ride home, when I'm just going over my mind, you know, it, it just seemed it became obvious to me that if there was some way to fix the water problem, then almost by default, we're going to fix half of the healthcare problems because all these hospitals that we would visit, half of the beds were filled with people who had, you know, dirty water diseases. And then the idea that if you had clean water and you and um, 
and you had good health, then opportunity presents itself. And it's even the opportunity for these girls to go to school and, uh, and for the women to be productive instead of spending all these hours fetching water, if they had a resource that was close to them, then they can spend a lot more time in, in, in actually creating income or teaching their kids and helping them with school. It's, it's interesting, uh, Center Vision, um, if you're just coming by, this is the Nonprofit Exchange. You can find all of our episodes at the, T-H-E, nonprofitexchange.org. And that takes you a page where all of the episodes are listed, including this one. And we have people uh, in our Center Vision uh, online community from around the world. As a matter of fact, you're part, part of the, one of the countries you work in is Uganda. And we have somebody watching, I see, from Uganda. Pastor Alex Booney, who's doing good work there, but um, you work in other countries too. But you are you are called to do something significant. But it started with water. Yes. So how did the idea of the human-powered water drill, known as the Village Drill, come to you? And what were the keys and steps in bringing it to life and help the the engineer engineering make that work? Yeah. Help that work. Well, so th this is interesting. So. My background is in finance. So I, I have, matter of fact, uh, at the university, um, I couldn't even tell you where the engineering building was at. <laughs> I knew where the uh, PE facilities were at, and I knew where the business facilities were at, and that, and that was about it. Um, and so, uh, and I struggled, and I'll tell you a little side story. Um, a lot of people who knew me, they kind of knew my, you know, you know, that I have kind of a light attitude and, and, and even though I get passionate about things, I'm kind of a cut up a little bit of a class clown. And, and a lot of people would say, you know, why do you think you had this idea? Um, you're not an engineer, you don't have any um, real background in philanthropy. Why do you think you came up with that idea? And I'm a religious person. And so I said, you know what, I think the Lord needed somebody dumb enough not to know this idea would work, but yet, you know, strong enough not to care what other people said. <laughs> and that kind of wraps me up. And so what had happened when I came home from this, uh, from this trip from Africa, I had no idea what to do, but it was always on my mind. I was always looking for, you know, for um, what can I do to, you know, to do something. And, and quite literally, in the middle of the night, this idea for the for a human-powered drill just kind of came to me. And it, it woke me up, and, and I went to my dining room table, and I, and I drew out what I could remember from this dream, not even realizing exactly what it, what it was. And so that's the first kind of, I'll call it a, a miracle. You can call it whatever you want. Uh, in my life, I call it a miracle. And then the, the next day was the second one. And, and the second miracle came when I got a call from the engineering department at Brigham Young University, where I had gone to school, asking me if I had a project for their engineers to work on through their capstone program. And, and quite honestly, I thought they had the wrong phone number. And, um, but they were returning a call from two and a half months earlier when I had called them about a brick making machine that I saw that they had developed several years ago. And so, but just the timing obviously was, was perfect. And so I told them about this idea I had for human power drill and the idea and I drew it out, but I had no idea how to engineer it. And so the capstone program 
took this project on. It was one of 30 programs that year. And, and so they basically had the school year to, to design and then build whatever projects they're, they're working on. So that's how it all started. And, uh, and again, there, there has to be some faith there, but it starts with, you know, the, the, the human mind just, just fixating on a problem. It, it, it's kind of, you know, when Einstein, when the apple dropped, I mean, that was his aha moment, right? Um, and so, that, so, so if you're focused on an idea, if you're focused on a problem, you wait for those aha moments and then you have to act on those moments. Leaders get things done. And if people ask me, you know, you can search for terms on leadership and you probably get billions of them, but fundamentally leaders get things done and they figure out how, how it gets done and they influence other people. And you, you know, you've done that terrifically. Yeah. Um, on your, uh, we're going to talk about your website in a minute, and there's a video of this uh, human power drill. That's just absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Um, there are two, on your website, you say there are 2.1 billion people that wake up every day without access to clean water. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. That's a, what, a third of the population or a quarter of the population? Yeah. Yeah. It, um, and, and more important, maybe not more important, but, but, a, but a figure that you can put in your head. Every year, there's about 3.4 million people who pass away because of either dirty water or lack of, of water. Now, 3.4 million, what is that? Well, let's put it for your, um, you know, for your audience who's in the USA. If, if these 3.4 million people who have died unnecessarily because of, of dirty water, uh, if you laid them side by side and you started in San Francisco and literally laid them side by side, three or four feet a, a, uh, apart, all the way, that line of people would go from San Francisco to New York City and out into the Atlantic another 100 miles. Those are 3.4 million people. So think about your drive into work today. And every three or four feet, you see a, you know, a body who is unnecessarily has died because of this issue, you know, at what point would you say, hey, I need to get involved. I need to do something about it. Now, imagine taking a road trip across the United States and every three or four feet, you saw a vision of, of one of these individuals that passed away every single year, year after year, uh, because we haven't solved this issue. And you get the sense of, you know, yeah, we need to do something not only individually but but communally as a as a as a population. I've heard say that water is the next crisis, but it's been a crisis. Yes, for many people, not you know, not for us when we leave our tap running, we brush our teeth and do right. crazy things like that. So, uh, in um, 2015, the American Red Cross International, you got the you won the Hero Award. Um, what was that about? Well, it was a surprise for, you know, number one, um, you know, they don't tell you that they have their eyes on you or anything like that. And it, it was, they, they call it the, the International Hero Award. Um, the, the irony was that, um, you know, I, the first 10 years of getting involved with this, I put my life on hold, basically, because I was spending five and a half months a year in these foreign countries. We have village drills now in in uh, 39 countries around the world. Um, there's uh, 140 some drills. 
we're actually finishing a well. We're, we're finishing about three wells a day, three to four wells a day, every single day, somewhere around the world with this little invention. So, uh, which may sound like a lot, may, maybe it doesn't, but um, it is just the tip of the iceberg. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's, you know, it, you know, that's where we're at. That's where this idea has led to. And, and again, right now, there's probably close to 13 million people who are now drinking clean water, but that's a far cry from the two, you know, billion that, that still need it. That's a bunch. Yeah. So you got this idea on the way home and you got this acronym uh, to start it. So it's not just a slam dunk. I have an idea. Let's do it. And it's successful. So yeah. What are just to kind of summarize? How did you get this started? Because there's a lot of people listening that might not be yet their potential. They got yeah. a nonprofit. Most of our audience are people already have a nonprofit, but sometimes we got to go back and rethink things as a startup because what we're doing is not working, or things have changed and it's not working like it used to. So, what were what were the steps and some of the challenges you had to overcome? Yeah, the the first thing was to to put a business sense behind what we were doing. It's great to have a good heart, but you but you but you you have to pay for whatever you're doing. And 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 so I came with it with in a with my business background. My wife and I we owned nine Century 21 franchises. So you know, we'd have four to six hundred agents working for us at any given time. So so mine was a business background. And when I got into this humanitarian business, I was stunned on how poorly they were run as businesses. And and the idea also comes about to where if you really want to be transformative, you got to come up with a new idea. But coming up with a new idea means that you're going to have a whole lot of people who are going to doubt you and they're going to question you. And so you have to have the fortitude to believe in what you're doing and you have to ignore the naysayers. You have to ignore, we always call them the bad witches, you know, the witches that that uh, are, are protecting you. So they tell you, oh, don't go try that. Don't go try this because you might get injured or you might get upset or you might get hurt. And, and you got to put that aside and, and you just got to um, have confidence in yourself, confidence in your idea. And, and, and I tell people, stay away from committees because the, the committee is the, you know, the, the, the death of any new idea. Um, because again, new ideas are, are typically different. Um, but that's what it's going to take to change this world. So, so have the fortitude and understand that even though this process of focusing on your, on your plan is easy, the execution is not. It's tough. And, and you're going to have, again, the village drill uh, affectionately is called the bumblebee in the sense that the bumblebee is not supposed to fly, right, the way it's designed. Uh, but yet it does. The village drill Every expert said that the village drill would never work um, until it did. And now, you know, they're rethinking their, you know, their, their ways of thinking. Everybody out there probably has an idea that may sound stupid. And, and, and when you share it, you might even get some resistance. But if you believe in what you, in, in your thought, if you believe in your process, then you just have to go, you just have to stick with it. And it's tough. Um, I didn't know when I started this thing, I thought the hard part was going to be finding water. 
I didn't realize the hard part was going to be fighting other NGOs who don't understand that the way you're approaching it is actually a better way. It's actually a new way. And, and so there's, you, you're going to have, if you don't have battles, you're probably not doing it right. Wow. I'd like to point out to people, this, this man and I just met, he's talking the same stuff we've been, we, we support and I, I didn't put words in his mouth. So you see, it's good ideas here. It's a business. It's not a for-profit business. It's a for-purpose business enterprise. So our, our profit is people's lives, impacting people's lives. It's return on impact, not return on our investment. So yeah. it's a different, different mindset of being a financial person that may make sense to you. Now, the water thing was what you where you started, but you became aware of issues with women, and they are numerous. But what what do you work on there? And what where is your focus? And what kind of programs do you offer there? Yeah, so um, so sometimes your purpose is going to lead you in directions that uh, are unexpected, and and that's what happened to to me personally. The reality is we have this water um, part of our of our uh, our nonprofit kind of down, and I have some really fantastic people running that division, and which is enables me to to focus more on innovation and and what can we do that is you know that is um, that's going to have more impact. And and I'm going to tell you from the beginning, if you're in the nonprofit world, innovation does not get rewarded. It's one of the biggest mistakes we make as a as a community is not rewarding innovation. And, and if we have some time at the very end, I can give you some statistics on that. But but you have to be innovative. If you're a business and you don't innovate, you're dead. Um, same thing, I believe, in the nonprofit world is that if you don't innovate, uh, maybe you're, you don't dead, but you just exist. You don't you don't improve. You don't get better. And so that's really an area that uh, that we have to uh, that we have to focus on now. Um, and in, in saying all that, I lost my train of thought. What were we talking about? Sure, I, I get it. So let's take oh. the, the statistics. Yeah. On but really, what you're talking about is a shift in mindset. Yeah, yeah. And so, and so, it was it was an area that we were putting a well in, and we came across we were putting a well in for a rescue center. And when I heard about it, I didn't know what kind of rescue center it was. I didn't know it was for animals or for lost art or or I had no idea. But I quickly found out that it was a rescue center for girls who were trying to escape this horrible tradition of what's called FGM or female genital mutilation. And what happens is it's it's a tradition where they go and they'll cut the girls um, in preparation to sell them as a child bride. Now, a child bride is, is a girl who's eight, nine, up to about 14, 15 years old. And they're literally their family is going to sell that girl to a older man, typically 50, 60, 70 year old man as a fifth, sixth, 10th wife. And, and they use words like wife and they use words like child bride to, to make it sound legitimate. It's not, this is slavery. This is trafficking of these little girls. It is removing their, you know, uh, a part of their, of their organs to where they'll never have pleasure in a relationship. And, 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 and again, the only reason they do it is for money and power and control. They, they call it tradition, but it's only a tradition because no one stopped it. I mean, the person who started it, they didn't have good intentions when they started it. It was started with terrible 
intentions of domination. And so when we learned about this, this is that ability to make the switch. And, and I put my focus and my effort on changing that scenario and ending that scenario. But again, this is going to go back to what I talked about before is what is your motivation? Is your motivation to put a bandaid on something or is it to like end it? And my focus is always on, on ending the practice. And so I approached this problem very, very differently. And we went to the police and said, hey, what do you need? And, and we, we put into in play some programs that had never been tried before that were astoundingly successful. And in our first year, which is just this past, you know, from November, we started in November of 2022, and which was the starting of their cutting season. They actually do this in two seasons in, in the what we call our winter season. And then and then right now we're in the middle of our second cutting season, which is in, in the August uh, time frame. And the reality is because of what we did. Um, we have lowered the percentage of these girls getting cut. It used to, um, you know, prior to us showing up, they were cutting about 85% of the girls that were uh, of the, you know, of the age, typically when they started their menstrual cycle, you know, they were becoming a woman and their families would, would put them into this, um, into this idea that uh, by being cut and being sold, somehow that, that's their entry into womanhood. And it's just, my gosh, it's just, it's ludicrous. And so again, we went out to stop it. So we went to the police to find out, you know, what do they need in order to make the arrest? What do they need to protect the girls? And uh, in our first year there, we we actually rescued over 2,000 girls from being cut. Uh, we had over 60 arrests where there was never any arrests before. And, and to date, we have, I think, about 32 or 33 convictions. The lowest conviction is two years. The highest is 15 years for these perpetrators of these crimes. And so that's, you know, so that was the focus shift. And, 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 and again, you, you have to be willing and able to do that, but then also smart enough to implement it and not do what everybody else is doing. Because there are 10 very large NGOs that are fighting this thing. But what I found out was that they're not fighting it. Matter of fact, I had one of them come to me and say, John, if you eliminate FGM, how are you going to raise money? Oh. And, oh. and and I almost fell off my chair. I, I And then all of a sudden things became like, wow, now things make sense. Why have they not been doing what they were saying they were doing? Because if they ever solved it, they wouldn't have that money cow. And so I'll put that in, in your head right now. Have conviction, stick with your morals, and start solving issues. This is not a job for you to make money at. This is a career to improve the lives of other people. That, that's my opinion of why we should be in this business in the first place. And that's what we think, Leanne, but we don't, we need the conviction that you have. So um, I'm going to talk about your website for a second. But, um, before that, um, I'm sure people are waving the heresy flag about the committee thing. The old saying is, um, it, committees are a place where good ideas go to die. Yes. It's, so there's so many committees that don't even know what their purpose is. So yeah. you know, an alternative could be a short-term project team that does a project and they're done because you need people around you to do something, which is Absolutely. a far cry from a committee. So yeah. a couple of statistics, then I want to show them, uh, talk about your website. Yeah. So, and, and just from, 
from the idea of you have to have new ideas. New ideas do not come from committees. Once you have an idea, you need the committee to execute your idea, but more than likely your idea is going to come from you individually, um, from you racking your brain. And, and, and again, as quickly as I can, imagine two NGOs, one, they both raise a million dollars, and one, 90% of their money goes into the, the field and they help 50,000 people. The other NGO, only 60% of their funds go into the field because 30% goes to innovation. But because of their innovation, they could help 500,000 people. So on our, on our books, on our 990s, we have to show over here that only 60% goes into the field, but yet nobody ever says, well, yeah, but they're helping a half million people as opposed to this group where only 50,000 people are being helped with that same um, you know, million dollars raised, they're actually going to be, you know, considered a better uh, NGO when, when they're not. So we have to change the way we think, and we have to look at impact as a measurement of how much good we're actually doing. Maybe we need to change the way accounting for the, uh, the, the accounting principles, because yes. that is not overhead. You know, yeah. that, is, that, is, that is building up your, your work for in the field. Yeah. Um, let me just talk about your website. It's w-h-o-l-i-v-e-s dot org. Yes. Go there. What will they find? Well, they're gonna they're gonna find a lot of our our past um, you know uh, accolades and 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 how we started and and what still needs to be uh, what still needs to be done. Um, yeah, so that's yeah. There's a there's a younger, heavier me without the uh, facial hair. <laughs> um, so, but you can go there, and if if what we're talking about speaks to your heart, feel free to go there, and 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 you can help us out. Or if you just want to talk to me and and say, hey, I'm struggling with this, feel free to, you know. Um, you know, to just get another listening ear to your idea. And if my experience can help you out, uh, I'd love to be able to help you out if that's a, you know, if that's something you need. So, but yeah, so yeah, wholives.org. And it'll be in the link. Uh, if you're looking at this on the website or in the podcast, it'll be in your narrative and the podcast, the script there. So I'm going to talk about the community, our community minute, then we'll come back and I want you to, um, Maybe come back with individuals who have passions that want to make change. You know, how do they get started in this? But yeah. John, you're invited to join the Center Vision Community. All right. Nonprofitcommunity.org. Nonprofitcommunity.org. It's just what it says. That'll revert to the Center Vision Community. And there's like-minded people doing good work in there. You can post pictures about what you're doing. You have conversations with like-minded people. And guess what, John? It's free. So awesome. that, that level, nonprofitcommunity.org. Now, if you want more, you want, you're starting out or you're growing your organization, you want to build more stronger systems, there's another level that's paid level called the influencer level. And once you're in the free community, we have a conversation. If that fits you, then we you get an invitation to join as an influencer. And then you get time with me every week and workshops and all kinds of good stuff, mastermind groups. So we we come at this making nonprofit leadership work affordable because it takes leadership to make it work. And I guess you're getting that from this interview today. This man made it happen. You know, there's a lot to say for skill, but there's also the complementing piece called willpower that you've got a calling to this work and you have a passion for it. 
and a no compromise attitude. So that to me is one of the great inspirations from your sharing today. But what advice do you want to have to people who are passionate about something, want to start it or grow it? Yeah, I, I think kind of what we said in the beginning is um, don't do what everybody else is doing um, it, unless it has proof. I mean, unless they have proven results. I mean, if 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 somebody has proven results and you want to and you want to, you know, uh, implement those strategies, that's great. But the you know, the, the greatest changes in life come from inspiration. And, and I would say, look for something that that you know, that that's not being done and, and wait for that inspiration. And I talk to people who literally, they like, man, we have all this trash. If we just did X, Y, or Z, we can solve that problem. Well, take that idea to your, you know, to your city council or, or you know, maybe you have a homeless issue and, and you're looking at it, it's like, man, if we just did this or that, we could, you know, this would go to long ways. And again, have the, have the, the, you know the backbone to stand up to politicians and and the people who hold the the purse strings and and bring them this this idea because again typically you look at Mohammed Yunus who started the uh, Grameen Bank where he's helped millions of of young Indian women get out of poverty um, get out of begging by just doing a twenty nine dollar loan it just changed everything so find out what is your twenty nine dollar loan what what is your idea to change this world and and go and 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 just get it done again it won't be it, it won't be easy. You're going to have a lot of naysayers. That's okay. Uh, you know, prove them all wrong. Prove them all wrong. You know, John, I found in my history, writing a goal and sharing it, there's two response. There's a lot of responses, but these two I call are inspirational. One, that's a great idea. How can I help you? That's inspirational. The other one is, huh, you're going to do what? I call that inspiration. So you've, you've nailed that one today. So John, thank you so much for being our guest today. On the my pleasure. Exchange. Thank you so much. Thanks, you. Thank you for listening to the Nonprofit Exchange. This podcast is a part of the C Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>